Hallelujah. Hmm. Well, thanks for joining us again this morning. And those, uh, there's an echo in my mic, and it's like, do you all hear that echo? You don't hear the echo. I've got the echo going on up here, and I'm telling you, I'm hearing myself speak twice, so that's better. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, to those that are watching online, we, we welcome you as well. And uh, we're wrapping up our series called Follow Me. And our first week, I talked about the importance of our discipleship dialogue that uh, none of us actually started in a relationship with Jesus and, and got there without some kind of dialogue with him. Uh, maybe it was with somebody else who had a relationship with him, uh, had accepted Jesus as, as their Lord and Savior, and they shared that with us. But somehow, uh, someone else was a part of helping us come to Christ. Um, and as we begin to hear the teachings of Jesus, uh, that dialogue, if you will, began to, to bring us to a place. The second week I talked about uh, that uh, to follow him, we need to have faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we, we can't come into faith in Jesus Christ without hearing the word of God. Now we remember that in, in uh, the first book of John, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when we hear the teachings of scripture, what happens is, is we start to get to know Jesus, not just to know about him, but we start to get to know him when there's that dialogue. We hear something being taught and then we come back with a question, right? So, so let's throw this one out there. Um, you know, forgive your debtors, forgive people that have done wrong to you, right? And whenever you hear that, you think, yeah, that's easy, and I really love doing that. Right? You're kind of like, but Jesus, you, you just don't understand what they did to me. Right? You start to have a dialogue. You know, Job had that dialogue going on with God. You do understand that. He went through a lot. If you've ever read the book of Job, Job went through a lot of calamity. He had a lot of loss, a lot of frustration going on in his life. And, and he was uh, interacting with God. He was talking. I want to say that Job was kind of talking at God. Uh, but there was a point where God spoke back. The dialogue took place, right? The moment that it, he spoke back to him, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, he says, uh, hey, Job, you're complaining. Now, listen, I'm paraphrasing. I know it doesn't actually say that, but, but I'm trying to do it really quick, okay? So he, he says, uh, hey, Job, you're complaining a lot, and I'm just wanting to know, where were you when I gave the zebra its stripes? Where were you, Job, when I measured the universe by the span of my hand? And now, it, it goes on back and forth a little bit, right? But Job gets to this point and he does this. I placed my hand over my mouth, right? Why? Because God's ways are higher than ours, his, his knowledge higher than ours. And, and there's an element of uh, we, we will talk at God a lot of times, but, but we need to talk to him. And talking to him also allow him to talk with us, right? And so that, that, that's a dialogue. We need that dialogue. That's how we come to faith in Christ. And then that's the way we move to the third message I shared in follow me when Jesus invites us to follow him. And that is that, do you know him? You can't get to know someone uh, unless you're willing to be open to what they have to share with you, right? That dialogue to, to, to move your heart and to change your way of thinking to see where they're coming from. And so uh, obviously when you come to that place and you can see that uh, Jesus kind of has, uh, uh, he's cornered the market on eternity. Can I say that? He cornered the market. When he died on the cross, he's the only way, I said. 
The only way that you can go to heaven, the only way that you can get the Father God is to go through Jesus Christ, the Son, who was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Crucified for our sins, right? Buried to take the keys of hell and death from, from Satan, right? Death no longer has a sting in our life. We will die, this body will die one day, but for those who are in Christ, you don't taste death. You, you actually, you, you just cross over into greater life than you've ever known. Come on, somebody, right? The, death, the Bible says death has lost its sting as a result of what Christ did, that he conquered hell and the grave. And when he was resurrected from the dead, he was resurrected, uh, that resurrection life, if you will, that eternal life, but the power of resurrection life and that we, when we come to Christ, can walk in the power of resurrection life. Amen? And so today what I want to talk about is a little more casual. Say casual. Um, how many of you have friends? Oh man, that's pretty sad in here. How many of you got some friends in your life, right? Okay. Uh, if you've got some friends, you know there's those moments they, they come to you and it's like, hey, you want to go out to dinner? Uh, you know, there's that casual interaction that you have with them. Uh, that comes with friendship. Uh, that, that interaction that, that if you're with a stranger, it's not the same. As a matter of fact, if a stranger walked up and said, hey, let's go out to dinner, what would you do? Uh, <laughs> I'll make sure to send a stranger to you. <laughs> I'll send a really crazy stranger to you. Now, uh, you know what I'm saying? You don't know somebody I'm like, hey, you want to go out to dinner? You're like, who are you? Right? Um, but, but when a friend says, hey, man, you want to go out to dinner? You know, you're like, yeah, yeah. And so there's that interaction that is friendship. So often our approach to God, and he, look, he is holy. He is righteous. He is true. He is the infinite God. He's the creator of the universe. He's all of those things. But the, in the Bible, it says that Jesus calls us friend. He calls us friend. Do you think that Jesus sees us as his friend is probably one of the greatest things that we could ever know. And the fact that he died on the cross, he was all man, he was all God, he did no wrong. The only one that could actually judge any of us decides to come and graciously invite us to come follow him, right? And so I, I love uh, the stories in the Bible, uh, especially as I, I've talked about in this Follow Me series, we referred to the fact that the, the, some of the disciples were fishing, there was a tax collector, there's a physician, on and on. But you see a lot of emphasis around these fishermen that Jesus invites to come follow him. I also said that they were fishing one day, and uh, you know they weren't catching anything, and Jesus said, do you have any food? And they're like, no, we've been fishing all night, and we've caught nothing, and they're pulling the nets in. And he's kind of like, cast your nets on the other side. And they're like, sure, no problem. Now, you know what was going on in that boat, right? These guys were like, yeah, cast your nets on the other side. You just, you just, no, what, they're going to be fishing on the other side of the boat? We've been fishing all night. You know that was going on, right? Uh, but no, they, they decided they were going to do it. And they caught so many fish, they couldn't pull them into the boat. It's 153 fish. They couldn't pull the fish up in the boat, so they kind of took the boat to shore and drugged the fish in. Now, I say that because that interaction that took place between Jesus and his disciples when he's just walking along the Sea of Galilee, you know, along the shore, and he comes across them and says, come follow me. And they follow him. And then a bunch more guys are down the way, and come follow me, and they follow him. And I'm going to read this scripture here in a moment, but I want to tell you a story first. 
And that story goes like this. There was a game warden, and he heard that uh, there was a guy that was fishing with dynamite. Any of y'all ever done that? I handled a lot of dem- demolitions. You know, I was a demolition specialist in the military, so got to handle C4 and dynamite and all those kind of things, TNT. It was really fun. I'd love to have tried fishing with a stick of dynamite sometime. But, you know, uh, here it is. The game warden hears this guy's fishing with dynamite, and so here's the guy is hanging out at a local bar and decides, i got to arrest this guy, but i got to catch him in the act. So he goes down to the local bar. He's hanging out, chit-chatting with the guy, hoping the guy will invite him to go fishing, and, and they're interacting. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, you want to go to fi- fishing with me tomorrow morning? And the game warden's like, absolutely. I'd love to go fishing. So they get there to the, to the lake, and they put the boat out, and they're trolling out to the area where they're going to fish. And the game warden's thinking, you know, you know, you know i got to actually let him, you know, chuck a stick of dynamite, I gotta let him fish with dynamite to actually arrest him, catch him in the act. And so they're chatting as they're trolling out, and all of a sudden, the guy reaches under the seat, pulls out a bag, and there's dynamite in the bag, pulls it out, lights it, throws it in the water, boom, a bunch of fish come floating to the surface. Game warden pulls out his badge, he looks at the guy, and he says, uh, he says, uh, you're under arrest. And the guy's looking at him, and he grabs another stick of dynamite, lights it, throws it at the game warden's feet, and says, you going to fish? <laughs> I don't know about you, but how do you arrest somebody when you just did what they did? You know what I mean? Uh, but I, I want you to keep in mind the idea of fishing with dynamite because we're going to come back around to that. Mark 1, 16 through 20. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further uh, up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, you know, poor Zebedee, you know, he's got hired men, but his two sons just left him uh, to go fishing with Jesus for people rather than fish. Come on now. Um, but I, I look at this as the casual interaction, the friendly interaction and invitation that Jesus gives to them to come fish with him, right, for people. It's that, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. So I want to share the first point this morning is how do you, how do uh you respond to the, how to respond to the invitation. How do you respond to the invitation of Jesus to follow him, to go fishing for people with him? Um, number one, we see that the disciples, um, they answered the call. You need to answer the call to follow Jesus. When he calls you, when he asks you to go with him, especially to go fishing, somebody fished for you or you wouldn't be following Jesus. Somebody was following Jesus and reached back, cast the line in a net or however you want to define it, and fished for your soul with the message of Christ. And you responded to it. So we answer the call to follow Jesus. Look here, verse 17, Jesus called out to them, come follow me. The second one is to learn from Jesus. In this passage, we see that when he asked them to come follow him, it wasn't just to follow him, but that they were going to be shown, another translation says taught, 
Come and I'll teach you how to fish for men, for, for people. It says, I will show you how to fish for people. So learn from Jesus. Be willing to learn from Jesus. You know, I, I don't think there's probably any greater thing when he comes to you as a friend, he comes to you, uh, you know, and you have that relationship than Jesus saying, hey, I want to teach you something that's going to make life a whole lot better. And when I teach you that, I'm not just teaching you that so that you can have it for yourself. I'm teaching you that so you can go and give it to someone else. Amen. You know, I look back on when I came to Christ. I, I grew up in the church and I got baptized. Some of you heard that story before. I got baptized, you know, uh, my pap, uh, grandpa, he told us, you know, or me. He, I don't know that he told anybody else that. I was the stubborn one in the family, maybe, because I, I was holding out on getting baptized. I, you know, why do I got to do that, you know? If you don't get baptized, you're going to go to hell and be a little skeleton in hell, burning up. Twelve years old, right? I'm kind of like, all I got to do is get baptized in water. He said, that's it. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, hearing Jesus say, come follow me. And I've said it many times that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And Grandpa put the fear of God in me. So, you know, uh, it was the beginning of wisdom in following Jesus. But it wasn't until I was 19 years old um, that I heard God's call. And, and I had this uh, uh, point in my life at nine years old, having been uh, beat by my stepfather. And I ran back to what we call the back 40 of our property and sat on a creek bank and threw rocks in the creek. And I'll never forget, um, at nine years old, I didn't realize what I was doing, but going to church with my grandparents, train up a child in the way they should go. When they grow old, they won't depart from it. And there was things being put in me. And I was, talking, I was having a discipleship dialogue and not really understanding that's what it was. And at 19, that's when uh, the Lord, I, I met Angie and got engaged with, with, uh, to her. And we're getting married. And at nine years old when I was beat, I made a promise to God, throwing rocks in that creek. If you give me a woman who will love me and never leave me through anything, I, I, I will give you my life. And at 19, God shows up and speaks to my heart. You know, I hear him speak to my heart. Not audible, but that still small voice of the Spirit of God. And it, was, it resonated. It was real. Can I get an amen if you know what I'm talking about right now? That you, when the Lord got a hold of you and you knew that it wasn't just ordinary, there was something special going on in your relationship with him. And I remember that at 19, and I remember hearing that and just, and just bursting into tears. Just kind of, you know, recognizing at nine and then 19, you know, making that promise and then God fulfilling that promise and um, calling me. Will you follow me? You said you would. And you know what? I, I called Angie right away uh, as soon as I had the chance to get a phone and call her because we didn't have cell phones back then. I'm, you've already heard I'm turning 50. Where's he at? His job's in jeopardy, so you know, you might need to rescue him. Yeah. But I'll never forget sitting there thinking, as, a, as I felt the Lord prompt me, I've given you the woman you asked for me when you, for when you were nine years old. It's time for you to give me your life. Come follow me. Huh. I'm burst into tears. I'm sobbing. I get back. I call her. and say, hey, baby. Hey, I love you. I'm like, hey, when I get back, I want to go to church. She's like, uh, Okay. Hadn't talked about God, but somehow, right, God knows. He knows where to land in your life at the right time. 
Let me just say he knows how to fish. He knows how to fish. He knows the, he knows the bait to put on the hook. Right? I've, I said in the beginning of this series, the disciples were following Jesus and he saw him following, he turned and he said, what do you want? At nine years old, I told God what I wanted. At 19, he gave me what I asked for and then told me what he wanted. <laughs> Come on, you, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, I gave you what I wanted now. Give me what I want. I want you to come into a, a genuine relationship with me. I want you to recognize what my son did to bring restoration in your relationship with me, that you're a son to me, right? And he's my heavenly father, amen? Listen, I need to move on, but uh, are you getting anything out of this? So how to respond to the invitation, answer the call to follow Jesus, learn from Jesus. When he's talking to you, when you're reading the word, you're praying and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, learn what he's saying. And then what? Then do it at once. Do it at once. At once he called, watch, uh, verse 18, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Verse 20, and he called them at once and they also followed him. So they left their nets at once and followed him and he called them at once and they follow, immediately respond when you feel Jesus give you the invitation, come follow me, whatever that is. Come follow me in a, uh, a living way in your marriage. Come follow me in a living way in your family, in your work. Honor God in all that you do. Acknowledge him in, in every way, right? The Bible says acknowledge the, the Lord in all your ways and he will, say he will, direct your path if you acknowledge him in everything in your life then you'll find him directing your path you won't have to be concerned about where you're going because you're following Jesus and he's never going to take you to a place that you aren't going to want to be he'll always take you to a place of abundant life a better life amen so we need to realize that Jesus is what he's talking about when he says fishers of people so what kind of fish are we trying to catch? That's, that's a question, right? Trying to catch lost soul. I was a lost soul and I got caught by Jesus and it had a lot to do with, with other people in my life, including my, my pap teaching me wisdom, amen? And so what kind of fish are we trying to catch? For that, uh, we need to go to another parable. And in this parable, we've heard it many times. How many have ever heard of the, pro the parable of the prodigal son, right? The parable of the prodigal son, now, in that, with the emphasis on the, on the prodigal son, you got the older brother, you know, he has his actions, he's a little stubborn and self-righteous, come on now. If you've ever read that story, you, you see it, like, he does everything right, he's the good one, he works for daddy, right? And the prodigal son's kind of like, I want all my stuff, and I want to go do what I want to do, right? And he gets in trouble. Now, we're going to read that a little bit more in depth, but I'm just giving the overview a little bit. And so... But that story, I want to subject you to the fact that that story is really about the father's love. It's not about the prodigal. The reason why we identify more with the prodigal in that story is we're more like him. <laughs> right? We all need to experience the love of the father. And so we identify with him a whole lot more than we identify with the father's love. I subject to you that we need to identify with the father's love. There are people that are lost. There are people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And their hope, <laughs> go figure why God chose to 
deposit in us, as the Bible says, that we have this treasure. Say it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I quote King James because I memorized King James when I was younger. This treasure, Christ, his love, all that he is, his power, he decided to deposit inside of us. We have this treasure, this treasure, Jesus Christ, choosing to come and make his home, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, that he'll pray the Father and he'll send the Holy Spirit and he says, and we will come and make our abode in you. He chooses for you to be his temple. He chooses to dwell inside of you, to come and to live and to express himself through you. Amen. And so answer the call to follow Jesus, learn from Jesus, do it at once. And here we are, the, starting off the story of the prodigal in Luke 15, 1 through 2. Here's what's going on. Tax collectors uh, and other no notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. Do what? Teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, now, if you can see right here in the very beginning of this, right, Jesus has come to represent the Father. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to fish for people, right? If you can see here, when Jesus is saying the tax collectors and notorious sinners, prodigal sons, and when he says the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, older brother, that, that's why he starts it off this way. Hey, you all are the older brother. And this one's the prodigal, and I've come to represent the father, right? The Bible says he did nothing unless he saw the father doing it. He only did what he saw the father doing. And the father's heart was to restore people back to him in relationship. So, how many of you have been fishing? Give me an amen if you fished before. It's quite a few of you. How many of you ever been fishing off the bank, casting, you're reeling, if you're, if you're using lures or you're using bait, you're watching that bar, bobber intently for the first hour, and you kind of like, was that a bite? You, know? you ever fish for a long time and not catch anything? And down the way, you see somebody starts reeling fish in right and left, you're like, Start working your way up there, you know, a little bit, right? You're kind of like, hey, what are they biting on? Right? Sometimes you run into somebody very generous. Other times you run into people that are like, ruin my fishing day. Get out of here, right? They don't, they're not nice, right? But you get up there and you have, what are they biting on? Give me an amen if you've ever done that. Quite a few of you. I shared a story a couple weeks ago about my grandsons when they were here taking them fishing up to uh, Rainbow Falls. We had a family uh, here in the church who, who uh, uh, has a membership or is connected with somebody that has a membership. And they're like, hey, I'm going up if you want to take the boys. And I'm like, Rainbow Falls? They stock that really, really good. And that's a fact. So, uh, so yeah, we went with them, right? They say, so they, they're like, hey, uh, let's go fishing. And I said, I'll follow you. You get what I'm saying? So I take the boys up there. Now, even though there's a lot of fish there, and they're, because the poor boys, I mean, you got five years old and three years old, right? Jude just turned four. So, isn't that right? No, he just turned three. Thank you. That was my wife in the back. Give me the, uh, so five and three, 
And these big fish, I'm talking like, you know, between 15 and 18 inch fish swimming back and forth by, you know, and, and they're like, there's one, there's one. They, you know what I'm saying? They don't get it. It's not like you go, there's one. Wow, look at that. <laughs> right? doesn't work that way. You got to catch it. Their poles are in there. I'm fixing them all day long. You know, they get all, t- Papa, my pole got tangled up again. I'm like, that's all I'm doing. Finally, I'm like, forget those poles. We're taking Papa's pole, and I'm going to fish and get one on the line, and I couldn't catch one either. And this guy pulls up on the other side and just over the way a little bit, and Grandpa with his grandson, and his grandson was about seven or eight years old, and uh, he's fishing over there, and man, he's just one after the other, pulling them in. I'm like, what the world is going on? Hey, what, you, what are they biting on over there? And the grandpa motions to me, and he's, I walk around the lake right over to him because if, if he knows something I don't know about catching fish, I want to learn from him. Let me say Jesus knows a whole lot more about catching fish than we do, and I want to learn from him. So I go over there, and wouldn't you know it, the grandpa goes, right here, watch this. And so I'm down there with him, and I'm watching and he's got, the, he's got the fly, and he's ready to toss it out there. And he reaches down in his pocket, and his grandson, he, he's like, now watch, watch this fish grand, you know, to his grandson. And, uh, and, and he goes, and holds his hand out, and he's got dog food in it. I'm like, what? And he just goes, hey, hey, says his grandson's name, and he looks over to his grandpa, and while his grandpa throws it out there, and he throws the fly in the middle of it, and the fish are like, whack, whack hits the fly, and boom, takes off with the... I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? And so the grandpa, he digs, he goes, here you go. And he hands me a bunch of dog food. And I stroll over and I'm thinking, man, I want my grandsons to want to go fishing with me in the future. And thus far, we have been skunked. You know what the word skunked means in fishing? It stinks. And so we, we're there and, I, and you know, I'm like, hey, look, look over here, look over here. I'm going to throw this out and you're going to reel fish in. And it's like, okay, okay, Papa, okay. He's looking at me and I'm like... Right in the middle of it, bam, got one on. I'm like, are you, you know, like, that man, you caught one, you know, you get what I'm saying. Let me tell you, if you follow Jesus when he invites you to go fishing with him, you're going to catch fish. You go by yourself, you might struggle at catching fish. You might struggle at winning people to Jesus. But if you go with Jesus fishing, you're going to have fish. That's what the disciples found out when Jesus said, hey, put your net on the other side. There's 153. Now, I don't know about you. But when I got in with Jesus, I was like, where have you been? You could have showed up a whole lot earlier and we wouldn't have had to fish all night, right? Throw that dog food in there. Let's get it done. Speak a word, Jesus. And, and Jesus will do that for your life and for your friends and your family that don't know him, do not have a relationship. But you desperately and sincerely want them to have one. Prayer, inviting him into that. Go fishing with Jesus. What are they biting on? Let me tell you. Three things that they're biting on. People are caught by carrying relationships. <laughs> Why I'm crying, I'm sorry. I hate that. Come on, man. Oh, oh. <laughs> God cares about the lost, right? He loves people and he wants to see them come to him. So people are caught by carrying relationships. Listen to this uh, in this uh, parable. Luke 15, 3 through 7. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost... What will he do? Won't he leave the ninety and nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, 
he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus is concerned with people who are wayward from him. He's a shepherd. And if he's our shepherd and we're his flock, right? Don't be surprised when Jesus will leave you. Like, you're saved. you got a relationship with him. Uh, let's go fishing. Come follow me. Now, here's the interesting thing. To follow Jesus. And flip this back to the Pharisees and the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus is inviting his disciples to come go fishing with him. Are you a disciple? Do you have a discipleship dialogue? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Come on. Are you following him into eternity? Are you, are you, are you going fishing with him when you follow him? Because there's a whole lot of other people he would like to come into eternity with us. Amen. So, so when you get down to it right here, what you have is the caring relationships. That's how we show people that our shepherd cares by caring for them. I might have 10, 15, 20 relationships. It's fun. Man, let's hang out. And there's that one person I know that doesn't feel like anybody cares about them. I'd be like, hey, man, I'd love to go do that. But I know this person, I need to go spend some time with them. Why? Because they don't have the 10 friends. They don't have anybody in their life, but they need somebody to help them to come know Jesus Christ. Amen? So bait your hook with caring relationships. The second one, people are caught by a sense of value. They're caught by a sense of value. Luke 15, 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Oh man, can it get any clearer what Jesus is trying to communicate? And let me say this, both to prodigals and to, if you will, the religious. See, he's representing the heart of the Father. Now, I told you I'd tell you a little bit more about the dynamite, fishing with dynamite. So Jesus is interested in seeing people come to him. He's interested in people being saved, right? His disciples, we know in the book of Acts, you know, he tells them, hey, go and uh, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued. Say endued. Endowed. Right? We're endowed with certain unalienable rights in our constitution. Well, Jesus wanted to be endowed with his power. Right? Wait. Terry, wait, pray, come together, be in unity until you are endowed with power, right? Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Being witnesses, what is that? Let's go fishing, right? Let's go fishing. You'll go be my witnesses and you're going to fish for people. And here's how, here's how Jesus, and I'm just telling you, Jesus fishes with dynamite. Acts chapter 2, right? And then when they were together in one accord, say one accord, they had unity, right? 
So when they were together, right, the Holy Spirit came, right, and sat down on them, right, filled them with power. Now, here's the interesting part about that. On the day that the Holy Pentecost is what that's called, on that day, the power of God came just like he promised the disciples it would. Now roll back and he says, you'll be endued, endowed, you know, my power will be deposited in you. Say dunamis. Oh, come on, dunamis. There we go. The power of God, the dunamis power of God will come in you. Now say dynamite. Because that's where we get our word dynamite from, is the word dynamis. That dynamite power. I see, you'll be endued with my dynamite. Come on now. And then you'll go be my witnesses. Then you get to go fishing for people. And you're going to go fish with dynamite. You're gonna, it's going to be my power working in you. You proclaiming my message, right? Uh, you know, and my power being what brings people to me. All we got to do is be obedient to go fishing with Jesus. And when he comes and that, I, I, you know, I know that it may seem oversimplistic to say it's a casual invitation, but I do. I think that when you're at work, you're at school, wherever you're at, just know that Jesus is always saying, hey, let's go fishing. See that student in the corner that has nobody to talk to, a family member that's going through a hard time. Maybe that's a prayer. Maybe it's just a phone call of encouragement, whatever it is. Just know that those are the moments where Jesus throws out a, hey, let's go fishing. And the final point, um, what are they biting on? People are caught by authentic love. They're caught by authentic love. Luke 15, 11 through 24. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Now, Look up here. That son looked at his father and said, I wish you were dead. <laughs> Give me mine. I, I, you'd be, it's, it'd be better off for me if you were just dead. I, I want what would come to me when you die. Right? That, that's, I just think that's rough, man. You're talking about starting on a bad road. Uh, it began with his dishonor of his father. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. King James, prodigal. That's where we get the prodigal son from, is that's prodigal living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs look good to him. But no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now look up here. This young man gets to the place of living life the way he wants to live it. You know, he's a little fishy swimming out in the water, going wherever he wants to go. And he has nothing. He's hungry, right? And, and it dawns on him that, 
you know, even the servants in my father's house, you know, are cared for. (laughs) You hearing me there? They're cared for. Even the servants are, um, you know, given a place to sleep. They're given clothes to wear. Even in that, I would be cared for. I would be, if you will, uh, loved more in my father's house as a servant than I am out here with all these strangers. And let me say, your uh, predestined home. God, God wants everyone to come into his kingdom, I said in, in our third week. That, the, that if you think of the potential of the gospel, the potential of eternal life and salvation, it's there for everybody. He's not willing that any should perish. Your response to it is what brings eternal life. So this young man gets to the place where he realizes, I can go back to my father's house and be treated better as a servant. I don't have to be a son. Now, he gets back to uh, his home, and it says that the father saw him coming. This indicates that the father was watching for him. Obviously, he wasn't wearing clothes that looked like they used to. You know, he didn't look like he used to. He, you know, I would say he was probably pretty dirty if he was hanging out with pigs. But his father saw him, he knew. Listen to what it says. Filled with love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. I'm going to stop there for a second and just say, the father's response with love and compassion, even though the son had gone off and lived this way. Remember what I said? We identify with the prodigal a whole lot more because we are all prodigals to God until we came to Christ. And we experienced God's love and compassion. And here's the deal. It hooked us. We we're drawn to it, right? It's what, it's what people bite on, right? It's to, to sense that, God loves them, that's the message they need to hear. Not judgment. Obviously, when we speak certain things from the Word of God, people are like, you're judging me. No, what that is is the Word of God judging you. You know, and it can be mistaken, but know know this, we speak the truth in love. The manner in which we speak the truth is in love. We can't speak it in a judgmental way, but know that, that, that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And we go fishing for souls. We have to know how to communicate that what you're feeling is, is, is hopefully conviction, not condemnation, because I have no place to judge you. I'm just sharing what God's word says. And it, then they can go and think about it. And I'll tell, us, tell you a story here about someone I served with in the army. And um, <laughs> he, used to, he used to hold up nudie magazines when I'd be laying in my bed my bunk. Hey, look at this. And I'd look over and I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, look at this, you know, right? He kept doing it and kept doing it. And there was a day where I'm like, uh, he did it. And and I looked and I'm like, oh, you need to stop it, you know? And then I went into, you're going to go to hell. God's going to judge you for things like this and you're going to go to hell. And, And I get up and walk out. Now, I don't recommend you ever do that. Matter of fact, I walk out like, what, Derek, what are you doing? That is not loving. And, but, you know, I kind of like, I was at the end of it, right? 
We all have those moments. And you know that that set on him for years. He'd tell me like, please take that back. Don't say that. I'm like, well, I'm just saying you need to stop. And he never showed me nudie magazines. He never, look, you know, never did again. But to my surprise, and this is probably six or seven years ago, I'm sitting in my office here and he comes walking into my office. I'm like, hey, what are you doing here? Man, I saw that you were here and you're a pastor in a church and I was in town and I, you know, man, I need to drop by. He said, man, I want you to know that I gave my heart to Christ and uh, I never forgot, you know, and, and even though you told me I was going to hell, um, I knew you cared about me, you know, and that I was, you know, not being nice to you and, and you did take it back, but you told me that at some point I needed to come into a relationship with Jesus or I was in, in danger of judgment, not by me, not by any other person, but by God himself. And he said, man, I don't know. I just hit a point in my life and things were going on. And, and you know what it was? He was at a place to where he was hungry for God. And you want to know what happened? Right, right in your notes there. Uh, that he felt the value of relationship, right? That, if you will, the caring relationships, the sense of value and the authentic love had taken place in his life from other people. And ultimately, that's what God's wanting to do. Watch this. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party begins. Jesus said over one so one sinner who repents that all of heaven rejoices, that the angels of God rejoice over one, just one. If it had only been you, the only you that Jesus would have died for, heaven would have rejoiced. See, I think that's the significance of saying that all of heaven rejoices over one. Because we could get in the mindset of that if, if it was only one, then God wouldn't have. And that's not true. Jesus was going fishing. And if many was going to catch one fish, he was still going fishing. The beauty of it is, with the bait he's using, I'm just telling you, you know, he's caught millions of fish and he's not done fishing yet. And he's inviting you to come along with him and fish. Amen. Let me give you a couple things here that, that's going on, a few things that are going on here. Quick, bring out the finest robe. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in the people's lives that you might be fishing with Jesus for, uh, they, they are to be clothed with anointing. The cloak was a representative of anointing. That's why Elisha and Elijah, when Elijah, you know, uh, leaves and goes up in the fiery chariot, and Elisha's asked that he wanted a double portion of the anointing that was upon Elijah. What, what, what does Elijah do? He drops his cloak, and Elijah puts it on, and when he comes to the Jordan River, just like Elijah did, when they crossed over it on dry ground and he struck it with his cloak, when Elisha comes back, when Elijah was taken up and he comes back, he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah, his spiritual father, the one he followed around all this time that dropped his cloak to him, his anointing, he strikes the water and the miracle happens. And I want you to know that, that that's the significance here. The father was, was not going to let the son come into the house and be a slave. See, the Bible says that that the son differs nothing from the slave, though he's Lord of all. 
but is under tutors, governors, and instructors until the time appointed of a father. This prodigal did not wait for the time appointed of the father. He went and did what he wanted to do. When he came home, though, he had an attitude of repentance. Come on now. This is the beauty of it. We might come to God knowing, humbly knowing that we sinned and Jesus paid for our sins. But man, when he receives us into his family, he puts a cloak of anointing on us. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit so we can represent Christ the way he is meant to be represented with power. Amen? Say dynamite. <laughs> and then the next thing you see is a, is a ring on his finger. That ring was the ring of the house. It was a signet ring. Signified the house he belonged to. God puts a signet on us. It's called doxa. Say doxa. The Bible says that we with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. And that is in our risen Savior. When you hear that message, what happens is, is when you believe in it, that you become God's and he seals you until the day of redemption by his Holy Spirit. It's his doxa means glory. And it's not just any kind of glory. It's the glory, if you will, the word uh, picture for that word is this. Is that it's like a signet ring of a king when you melt wax and you put the signet in the wax and seal a letter and nobody else gets to open it. Here's the interesting thing about it. You are the letter. You, the Bible says you're a living epistle of Jesus Christ. When Christ comes and dwells in you, you are a living epistle. You're a living uh, uh, scripture for it to flow out of your life, your testimony. And what happens is, is it comes with the, the glory of God, the signet of God on your words when you talk to people about how God has worked in your life. And it takes that doxa glory, if you will, that weighty presence. Remember, the king will press his, his ring into the melted wax and it leaves the image of the king's signet. When you come to Christ, he presses his image into your life with his glory. And what happens is when you take the message, see, because you're, you're uh, sealed by him, you're allowed to open it. You're allowed to preach the gospel. Go and preach it as much as you might because that's going fishing with Jesus, amen? And then the final thing we see is sandals on his feet. And that is a, it signifies dignity. Signifies dignity. That when you come into the kingdom of God, he wants you to live a life that is holy. Amen? Amen. Let me close with this statement as the team comes. If caring relationships, a sense of value, and love are the bait, then what is the hook? If those are the bait, what's the hook? Jesus is the hook. Jesus is the hook. And I don't know about you, but when I experienced those characteristics of Christ, when I experienced his care, right? Uh, when I knew that he said that I have value and I experienced his love, I was hooked on Jesus and I'm not turning back. I, it's kind of like the barb that's on the hook, if you will. It's there. The Holy Spirit keeps me locked. Here's how I know. The Bible says that nothing, no one, can pluck you out of the hand of God. You can try to do your own thing, but once Jesus has hooked you, it's really hard, really, really hard to walk away from it permanently. Why? Because no matter where you go, the psalmist said, even if I make my bed in hell, God, you are there. And you can be doing some of the craziest stuff in your life that you know you shouldn't be doing. 
And yet you feel the tap of the Holy Spirit on your shoulder like, hey, you know, it's really not. And I tell you tonight, the same as Jesus said, let all of heaven rejoice over your life. There's things you need to repent of. Repent. And answer the call. Jesus says, let's go fishing. So let's go fishing. Let's take what he's given us and go and freely give to others. Stand your feet with me if you would.